welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. You're here on the first episode of a two-part watch-along of 2002's Haibane Reme. I'm Chiaki Hirai, one of the editors for Anifem. You can find me at, at Chiaki747 or at Animated Empress on Twitter. One is your angle and the other is your devil. Joining me today... <laughs> <laughs> really setting the era. Oh my god. <laughs> Joining me today are my two newbies to the series, Vry and Meru. Hey y'all, uh, I'm Vry Kaiser. I'm the managing content editor at Anifem. You can find me on Twitter, which is where I post a lot of my freelancing work, at Writer Vry. Hi everyone, I'm Young Feather Meru, and I've just <laughs> awakened from the cocoon. And I'm also an editor here at Anime Feminist. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Pixelated Lenses, where I am goofy as can be. And uh, I'm just always, always posting, always tweeting. That's your first mistake. Never post. <laughs> I can't so, help it. I love the internet. So is your um, high button name going to be like tweet? Oh my God. Yeah. It's going to be like chirp. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to, we'll get to names and stuff in a bit, but uh, okay. First, let me, uh, talk a little bit about what we're talking about today uh it's the we're going to be talking about the first seven episodes of mm. high Remei. it's a one core uh series uh self-contained uh but lots to talk about so we're going to be splitting it into two um the reason why we're covering it is it is considered to be a fairly popular uh well-regarded series mm. uh Featuring a cast of predominantly strong women characters uh, felt, you know, this would be a pretty good thing to talk about. Also, you know, covering issues on depression and um, loss and uh, other sorts of uh, dark, moody, uh, introspective things, I guess. Uh, this was definitely a a, a show that was, um, it, it spoke to a lot of uh, 2000s era teenagers who were brooding at Hot Topic. Including it is myself. a serious 2000s era anime, TM. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Um, so one of the first things you notice about the show is that it is uh, directed, or it is not directed, but it is um, the script and the series composition is by Abe Yoshitoshi. Uh, who is better known for his work from Serial Experiments Lane. Um, That's what, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> but but everyone recognizes Abe as the Lane artist, which is true, but the story is largely, you know, by Chiaki J. Konaka, Konaka who also made, you know, Paranoia Agent and uh, Technolize, uh, both 2000s-era serious anime TM. Um, the, the, um, Chia, uh, Konaka also made, uh, Lane, like, was, was the primary force behind Lane, and the artistic vision was by Abe. Abe's, um, d distinct look continues today. Uh, he's, he's mostly known for character designs. And mm -hmm. most recently, he did the character designs for Housing Complex C this season. Okay. And uh, another one that comes to mind is Rewrited in 2018. Mm. Um, you might realize that he's a very well-established character designer, but as soon as he touches a story, things get messy and his shows kind of flop. So... That is an unfortunate thing, uh, but Haibana Remme is considered one of his best works. It's one of his like um, most established works, and a lot of people still like it. So hopefully you'll like it too as you finish this out. <laughs> and, you know, Abe is a character designer by trade. Um, you know, he, he says so in interviews that he's primarily taken work for things like Sakura Wars and Japanese commercials just so he can keep paying for his uh, expensive inks that he uses for his paintings. Let's see, add to that, uh, anything to add to Abe? Well, uh, this is also a mid early 2000s show by Abe. And um, you might have noticed while you were watching the show, but he was probably going through a lot during mm. this time. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
unrelated to hype on RMA, he released a collection of comics from 1996 through 2007 and his early 2000s comics uh, called Kaida uh, features some very, very uh, bright and happy stories like a world that stopped spinning and is covered in snow and in, is in perpetual night and um, a woman who is trapped in a tower forced to climb with no idea why she's even climbing it. Um, so yeah, right. very normal author. <laughs> you know what? That's a big old mood. <laughs> yeah. I am going to stop in before we, before the, or step in before the corrections roll in at us. Uh, Konaka, I think did work on paranoia agent, but the series component was Minakami Seishi. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, he's the executive producer. It's, I, I had that still on the- still th- there was like there was fully a sort of connected little snarl but uh of what I I I, I knock but lovingly because these are all really good shows uh, of this connection between the serious two early 2000s anime TM of like Haibane Remme and Paranoia Agent and Serial Experiment Lane and Kino's Journey where they shared a lot of staff and visual look together. Mm hmm. And it's the same with the director of the series, Tokoro Tomokazu. Um, he has worked with Abe as, for a long time as well. Uh, you know, he was also director of Nia Under Seven, another title by uh, Abe, uh, which handles about uh, a story about immigration in Japan. So maybe we'll watch that one of these days. That's no, I was just going to say that's a series I've always heard the title of and knew nothing else about. Same. It hasn't aged well is the problem. Like, I mm. want to do a cast on it, but I feel like it's going to be a good hour of people just going, wow, how did how did this get made? <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's a place for that criticism, though, right? I guess so, yeah. So let's see. Okay, so um, first, let's kind of get into how... We all kind of came to, um, what you know, came to this series. Um, I have some history with this as the veteran of this cast. Um, I actually started watching the series on episode twelve, the second to last episode, uh, when I arrived in Japan in the summer of two thousand two. Um, and it was like a 2 a.m. anime that I just caught because I was jet lagged and I couldn't sleep. And um, it had this ephemeral feel uh, that, that just made me think I was having a fever dream. And luckily, my cousin was also a nerd and he introduced me to Abe's works, um, Nia Under Seven and others. And I've been a fan ever since. Nice. Yeah. Um, just so that, you know, we, before we get too into the weeds of this show, this is a sort of a heavier story. Uh, it deals with character death, of course, but also I, I'm just going to put it out there for folks at home listening who hasn't, who haven't watched it yet. It does delve into suicide in the second half, um, just as a content note. This, uh, this first half also has self-harm as a, as a pretty yes overt theme yeah 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 i'm so excited that we're finally watching this because this is a series that was always kind of on my radar as a thing i would probably like because paranoia agent and kino are you know two of my top favorites of all time i really bounced off of lane pretty hard but in fairness i watched it when i was like 19 and haven't been back to it since so um but I have had the DVDs since I lived in Colorado and the local video store went out of business. They are so old that they are still labeled Pioneer before it became uh, Jenny on. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And there they sat on my shelf after I bought them thinking, these are cheap and I've always meant to watch this for over half a decade. <laughs> I, I kind of have a similar story because like I remember seeing this I okay do you all remember the store fries fries electronics oh yeah yeah so I used to see them in fries all the time and I was always like oh 
one day I'll buy it. And then one day I woke up and Fry's had completely gone out of business. So I was like, guess I won't buy it. But I always remember seeing the kind of cover art. And like, it was quite evocative because it doesn't really tell you a lot of what's going to be going on in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that like the splash art for this tells you nothing. And I kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. At, there at, is least, a... at least the one that I've seen, like the very, the very simple image of, um, of a, a girl with wings. <laughs> and like, so I, I didn't really... Um, I don't know. It's just never a series that like I actually got my hands on, and then it came up uh, that like we should do something with it, and I was like, oh, I want to finally watch it because mm-hmm. I have been immensely curious, and like I think like both of you like Kino's Journey is one of my favorite series. It's been really impactful to me. It might be the first time where I was like, oh, you cannot be girl, <laughs> and like Ugh. I kind of started to question like gender and like what it means to be human and have humanity. Right. And so like, this is all, this is also given that same vibe. And I'm really glad I got to come to it. Kino, so gender. It's so gender. It's so uh. gender. Can, <laughs> gender can be ambiguous trans mask in a talking bike. Hell yeah. It should be. Funnily <laughs> enough, I think it, it'll definitely be published by the time this podcast actually comes out. But uh, one of our contributors, Iris, did just write an essay about how this series is uh, ex- works extremely well as a trans allegory. Oh, I mm. have some trans mm-hmm. thoughts, so let, I can't wait till we get to those. <laughs> yeah, we'll be definitely talking about sort of the queer readings that you can have with the show. Because mm-hmm. it, it feels very queer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just before we kind of get into it, uh, I just want to ask, what did you think you were going to watch and why was it nothing like that for you? <laughs> so so what I thought I was going to get was just like peaceful thoughts in a town with people that had wings and a halo. What I got was, oh, trauma questioning the wider world what does it mean to be human what does it mean to exist what does it mean to not want the same dream as other people ennui (laughs) it's so much it's so much like feeling and i love it it's nothing like what i thought i thought it was really going to be like very slice of life and very like almost giving me Yokohama Kaidashi Kiko vibes of like just yeah. kind of on. and then like it's like what if you had that but you were really sad oh, no. <laughs> it's so good it's so good <laughs> see for see for me I had sort of absorbed from the general cultural milieu before I watched this that uh this is the series about dead girls in purgatory uh, so I kind of had that coming in and therefore, like what I watched Twin Peaks, uh, having watched all the things inspired by Twin Peaks first, was mm-hmm. surprised by how relatively normal the first half is where it's mm-hmm. pretending to be a sli- slice of life that's uh, that that's weird and sad sometimes for small minutes at a time. And that's so interesting because like I really kept away from reading anything because I was like, I want whatever is going to happen to hit me. And it did. <laughs> was, oh, yeah. Like, this it, anime took me by surprise. <laughs> episode six rolls around and it just kind of starts hitting you like a truck. And it it's keeps just, hitting you. It's just like, I mean, you know, Smash Mouth had it right. The years start coming and they don't stop don't coming. Stop coming. <laughs> and they don't stop coming. And they don't stop coming. Um, but, oh, before we move on, just a real quick note on Abe's mm. uh, work on this show. He admitted himself in the show note, um, like in notes under his art books that he had no idea what he was going to do with the show until like the airing of the seventh episode. You know what? I can see that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He he literally scrambled to finish the last half of the screen series. There is definitely a feel when you're watching the first, not quite the first half, but definitely those first five episodes where I think it's, a little bit leaning into what I remember not liking about Lane, where it's, it wants you to know that it's a very serious work, but it doesn't really know what it wants to say yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, there, 
There's um there's actually a little booklet that I'm not sure if it's a compilation of releases from the Japanese uh box DVDs or just a direct recreation of it uh but there's a little character book with designs which funnily enough by the way considering these would have been released months apart you know four episodes at a time there is a huge spoiler in the first DVD box set where they have all the character designs and then there's a note in there that says Ku does not have a winter clothes design it's like okay <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> Oops. Um, but but there's um there's an introductory essay in that little book about how they picked up they they championed the series and got it greenlit when there were only two volumes of Dojin for it. Yeah. So- no, it's literally um I think it was the the producer literally just looked at it and said, "Yeah, I know what, we're making an anime out of this." You know what? I wish we could bring back that era because I don't know what's happening nowadays, but quite frankly. (laughs) I do miss when, obviously this wasn't universally the case, not every, with every single core anime, but I do miss in the 90s and 2000s where if you had a 13 episode anime, it was more likely to mean that it was an extremely weird anime original project where somebody was just going to do some shit. It was weird and you had to enjoy it. <laughs> it was weird and you must like it because it was just quirky. And like there were definitely some some misses back then. Mm, there's some there's some rough There are stuff. a lot of misses back then. Many. Many. <laughs> Look, I was trying to be gentle about it. <laughs> Unlike this show, which just ran roughshod over my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Well let's 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 talk about how, you know, you kind of get into it. Um so for those of you who are watching or listening at home and have not watched it, um, let's talk a little bit about the introduction of the world and some, some of the, you know, the significance of it. So characters, all the haibane are charcoal-feathered women with halos who work in a sort of a pseudo-modern, pseudo, you know, like, pastoral it's giving uh, 1930s (laughs) like it feels 1930s yeah yeah but like they have some modernity yeah like there's there's uh electricity is generated by wind people have like um you know mopeds they have uh you know like regular headphones and stuff, mm-hmm. but they're also listening to those headphones through like an old um, capacitor radio. <laughs> I was gonna say I was waiting for someone to bring out like the phonograph at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this weird pastiche that works. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and so all of the charcoal feathers are born from cocoons, and they have no memory of their past lives, but the other charcoal feathers take them in and give them a new name based on the dream that they had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, t- the, the, the character, the main character of the series is Raka, and her name is based off of uh, her dream of falling, which feels like there's like a lot of significance there in terms of why she is falling and Mm -hmm. so many motifs keep showing up throughout the series so much yeah (laughs) i mean my partner did watch some of this uh with me and during the early episodes promptly said they died and they still have to labor under capitalism this is the bad place (laughs) (laughs) brutal brutal but yeah like that's one of the tenets of like all of these laws that they keep is like they must mm-hmm. work and they have to like do these kind of services. There's all this ritual and just rules, 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 rules mm-hmm. to being a high bonnet. Yeah, there's it they're almost they are almost a caste unto themselves, which I am not com- I am not fit to comment further on, but I thought it was interesting to note. They mm-hmm. are definitely second class citizens. Yeah. Which is weird because, like, everyone in town kind of sees them as, like, man, it sucks for you. But anyway, we're going to still have to live by these rules where we treat you like shit. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Like there's a degree, there's this interesting degree of sympathy that like just never, they're just like, well, but that's just the way it is. Um, which feels like a commentary in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- there's a lot of talk about how the townspeople are love the Haibane and protect them, which the Haibane themselves have also like internalized. But yeah, at the mm-hmm. same time, they're like, oh, well, obviously you have to only have secondhand things and we can't give you money. You can only pay for things in script. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's... you're not, you know, you can't talk to the outsiders. Well, I mean, that's the entire city. I was but... going to say, that's the entire. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like, you, you, you're you, not even allowed to go near the wall that, cu- you know, surrounds the city. Um, you're not allowed to talk in the temples. Um, so many little rules and uh, restrictions that they have. Mm-hmm. Right. Even where they live. Uh, they have to live in a rundown, kind of decrepit, old school dormitory that's been abandoned, and like half the place is falling apart. Right, and it's like on the fringe of everything. It's kind mm-hmm. of like out of sight, um, which, once again, kind of feels like a commentary in and of itself. It kind of, you know, it, it even talks about like how, uh, for and and the internalization is also like super there because Raka herself when she talks about um, the creation myth of the world, kind of just says like, oh yeah, you know, us Haibane, we were a mistake from God. that, And he just thought we were okay. You know, we were benign mistakes. So he just let us live. Which like, what a, what a brutal way to perceive <laughs> oh, your existence. No. Like, we were God's fuck-ups, but he said that's okay. <laughs> like, oh, that's so sad. Like... It's so sad. It's like toys at the back of Goodwill. Like, oh. Raka, girl. Like, it's such a sad myth that, like, they're born into of, like, yeah, they're they're kind of the cast-offs of humanity? I, we, it's yet to really be clarified if they're human or not. I'm sure we're gonna find that out. Um, but, like, it's, it, it is the sad myth of, like, we were mistakes, but we were allowed to exist. So, like, in almost in kind for being allowed to exist. Like they just live a life of service. I do desperately need to know if that episode was made as a deliberate reference to uh, Gustave Corbert's L'Origine du Monde, the painting, which is just because that's also the episode about pregnancy and motherhood and I have feelings about that. But uh, that uh, the origin of the world is a painting of just Spread legs in a vulva. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm it's a very. A, I tried to think of a more articulate response, but that was the first mm. one that came out my mouth, which is like, oh, uh huh. It, it is a very famous 1866 uh, realist painting. People talk that about these days, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, and I mean, well, I was left. In fairness, this is something my my partner brought up and then I couldn't stop thinking about it because the episode where Raka works and Nemu um, Nemu work on that creation myth story is coupled with um, Nemu's co-worker at at the library and how she's asking about birth and the nobility Mm -hmm. of motherhood and that made me roll my eyes a little bit I'm not going to lie but it's it's doing something with you know life and death and the juxtaposition thereof I assume at some point yeah you know that episode was really quite poignant because of that and also like I know for me like the the motherhood thing also made me roll my eyes and I do have feelings about that because like uh you know something something biological biologic essentialism it's (laughs) weird Um, you know at least it didn't do the thing where it had one of the Haibane reminisce about how sad it is that they will never feel complete because they haven't had children that's not of interest to them thank god that's well, not a bar oh, oh no i mean oh. say well chiaki oh, i mean no. like prime minister abe wasn't in office at the time so <laughs> we were we okay. were away from that okay we were safe message. <laughs> yeah but it's just like it's just like this kind of strange closed off world ordered in by walls like literal walls Mm -hmm. um and it's just like it it makes me think of i mean drawing a comparison to kino's journey it makes me think of kino's hometown in a lot of ways 
um, where it's like a town where like, you know, once everyone hits a certain age of maturity, like you just fall into a role. And um, unfortunately for some of the high bonnet, they're kind of born at an age where they fall into a very specific role. Um, like Raka. Yeah. Uh, Princess Tutu has that image of a walled prescriptive city too. I think it was just kind mm-hmm. of something in the atmosphere um, or in the mind of creators at the time, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Not, I am not up enough on nineties uh, Japanese current events to posit a theory. You know, I, I that's that's a question that I never really considered. Um, my, mm, my only thought could be is that so this comes about a decade after a decade and some change after the Berlin Wall falls, right? And that is the biggest like physical wall we can think of in the world. And like, I think as a child of the '90s, because I was born slightly after it, I don't think about it a lot. But that was a really big. thing change it was kind of a to use a collegiate term a paradigm shift (laughs) and like and like how the world kind of you know and like these physical barriers that had kind of been held and had always been kind of in place um to some degree it like I wonder if that's an echo of that because like that's still going to be on people's mind and you know this comes about a year and um a year and just under a month after like this big war breaks out that often was talked about like is it going to lead to the third world war you know so i have to imagine like there's a lot of global stuff that's affecting kind of this thought of you know walling off which is really interesting watching this anime in 2022 when japan has just recently opened up its borders again um it that kind of wall metaphor is really interesting to consider right now mm-hmm. and you know you <laughs> Like even considering the the time period in Japan, I guess what you could also think about is through 1990 or so until like the bubble bursts and then, mm. you know, throughout the 90s where we have the lost decade, Japan kind of could operate on its own or they were they felt that they were making a recovery of mm. their own. Um the 90s onwards really saw them become, you know, start taking center stage in globalization. They, right. you know, their culture and uh, products were meant to, not only their products, but their culture was meant to be unleashed and, you know, pushed out mm-hmm. uh, to, to help their faltering economy. So there are, you could maybe speak to some of the, uh, cultural anxieties of a increasingly global society that they were trying to live in the mm. pressures of having to uh, leave behind what it traditionally meant to be a Japanese, you know, social mm. identity. I, I think you, you could probably read it positively um, or at least uh, positively towards breaking out because of the lost decade too, because like, these are mm-hmm. all stories about people who are anxious about going beyond these walled, uh, you know, th- these walled environments, but they are all led by like these, these youthful protagonists who, who are travelers and, and challengers and, and seekers, mm-hmm. which is and interesting. I, and I think walls too are just kind of like, they're kind of a universal motif mm-hmm. um, that yeah. are, that are like very legible, no matter what culture you come from. And they're, there's comfort and like having stories where you talk about walls because breaking through or making the decision to keep them or get rid of them is just like a very universal feeling. I think that's kind of the appeal of the show actually. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely this is a show about stasis and fears about stasis and who you're supposed mm. to, and like pressures of having to find a role that fits you specifically as relates to labor yeah because like speaking of labor being a high bonnet kind of (laughs) sucks like it kind of it kind of sucks it just (laughs) you you get born into the world sometimes your halo works sometimes it doesn't (laughs) oh bud and if it doesn't you have to wear the saddest contraption to ever it's like it's like (laughs) <laughs> to pull from like the early 20th century it's like a dunce cap 
<laughs> for your halo. And it's just sad. And then like, oh, <laughs> let's not forget your wings have to puncture your skin and they do show it in full. Like, that is oh, yeah. some good, good body horror. Oh, it was, it was like, wow. <laughs> Christ, there's so much barbecue sauce all over this. <laughs> um, oh yeah, just, just to mention real quick about that sequence and everything. If you watched the Japanese trailer for this show, it feels like it's supposed to be this dark uh drama full of blood and gore because they use that to play up the fact that this is going to be like this very gory and you know uh, heart heartfelt drama with, that's going to have you at the edge of your seat most of the time huh. <laughs> and then you that... get the first <laughs> <laughs> that's... gosh that's the that's the biggest like uh no it's it's not <laughs> like that scene that scene actually feels like it just feels painful, but in a mundane, a mundane way. Like it just feels like someone's worst day of being sick. And you know, I think, I think, I think it really speaks. uh, It plays to emphasizing who Reki is as a Mm -hmm. character for that scene, especially like she is a caretaker. Um, She is sort of supposed to be this big sister of the group, the dependable big sister. Yeah. Um, because the Haibane have nobody to rely on but themselves, essentially. They have their temple, their order, but it's essentially like headed by a old man full of who's, you know, full of these restrictive ro- rules and traditions that even the young, you know, all the other Haibane are kind of rolling their eyes at going like, we hate going there. Mm-hmm. Um the you know raka is really just kind of dropped in and she would probably not survive if she was the only haibane and oh, it's yeah. it's only dead. yeah it's only because there are other haibane that she really um is able to kind of find her footing in the show yeah raka absolutely uh would be dead without mm-hmm. the others cuz like her development happens so quickly in that first episode of like, she goes from, you know, her dream of falling, she emerges from the cocoon, which it's, it is later noted that she, there has not been a cocoon in a while. So like, she is kind of the first in a, in what seems to be a decent amount of time. Um, but she emerges from this huge cocoon and like pretty quickly gets really sick. And thank goodness, uh, Reki is there. Because otherwise, it just would have been uh, bad times for Raka. I like Reki. She's definitely uh, the character I enjoy watching the most mm-hmm. so far. I like that in the dub, she says damn constantly. <laughs> like, that is, that is the one word. She'll smoke and then like give us a good damn. And I'm just like, ah, I love my yep. bad. My bad bird daughter. I love her. She's we so do have nice. to pull over for a second to note that you did watch the the dub for this very <laughs> 2003 Pioneer release. I sure did. <laughs> I sure did. Featuring the talents of Carrie Savage, Erica Weinstein, J. Ray Hochfield, Karen Strassman, uh, Stephanie Shea. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> Wendy Lee. It's so 2003. Should I be it's playing like, like the Saturday Night Live uh, I mean, like jazz track behind you or something? I, I feel like you should have. Like, give me a little saxophone for this one. Like, <laughs> it's it's a who's who's of like 2000s before the economy went really bad and anime just got, there was that dark period that we don't think about anime. It's, it's amazing. And they are giving... Uh, someone who didn't really know how to do the ADR vibes because <laughs> it, it 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 there are some there are some flat performances. I'm not trying to Disney one, but everyone sounds a little bit like they're just vaguely disinterested um, until the action kind of kicks in, and then you're like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, 
yeah it's 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 a very 2000 stuff <laughs> and i love it <laughs> despite my criticisms i love it karen strassman who you may remember from the very good definitely higurashi dub by the same company oh, oh no, no. <laughs> okay oh no yeah sorry, that's was... mean of me that's really mean of me I mean... that's not fair to this actor it's not fair to the actor, but it is fair to that dub. It's not. Pioneer put out some dubs, TM. Yeah. Their Tenchi Muyo dub was all right. Okay. Okay. I'll give him that one. I'll give him that one. Yeah. No, but it. I, I did. I did indeed watch the dub. Um, and so like, and also Amazon, the quality on Amazon was standard quality. So like, it really felt like I was back in 2002. Um, just, just so we're clear here, it is only standard quality. This was before digital, uh, anime. Right. So I have, I have the fancy smancy, you know, Blu-ray and everything, right? It's still like 480p. I was going to ask you that because like I said, I have the original 2002 DVDs and there are some scenes where I am legitimately uncertain of is this meant to look kind of fuzzy or is it because the cells that they're using have degraded? So I wondered if they'd up for the Blu-ray, but uh, no, huh? No, no. The sh- yeah, fair warning. If you if you plan to watch this, um, maybe watch it on a small screen and sit like 10 feet away from the screen. <laughs> yeah, don't don't watch it on like a 24 inch monitor up close because it, it's just it's shades of brown. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna look it's gonna look crunchy and not in the crunchy roll way. No. No. Yeah, yeah it's uh so it didn't get the disco tra- tech treatment. That's too bad. You know they should. They should yeah. though. Yeah. Disco tech is just the criterion collection for anime nerds. I was going to say, like, Discotech, you've heard it here. Do a rescue. They can't. It's still in print. Yeah, it's oh. still in print. Funimation has it. Dang it. I guess Funimation it's- said you should be watching from 10 feet away. <laughs> mm. Like, but yeah. Oh, now that I've derailed us. Uh-huh. Well, let's let's just bring it back real quick to sort of this found, found family narrative. And also, you know, just we touched upon this earlier, but the, the sort of queerness behind this show, because, you know, I joked with my girlfriend um, when we watched it earlier this weekend, um, that old home is kind of the idyllic queer pastoral lesbian polycule life. <laughs> it, it is though. It is though. It's got that vibe. Yeah. Like it's just you and a bunch of like AFAB folks. Or like, I because I do believe that we could we could read space into this world for trans Hibone, but like I mean, I think you could read a lot of these girls as trans femme. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely right. And like, it's just a bunch of winged people, and like you get to have dinner together each night, and nobody's ever alone. And it's just really like if I were queer and had to go to a world, yeah, this one. I'm I'm kind of lo- I'm 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 eyeing it. I could be like the first trans mask, Kaibane. Though I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure we see some of them. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I mean, we like, have was... boy. He exists. We put a dude in here. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there is an dude, TM. She. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we know that Reki was rebellious. She's the one bisexual. <laughs> lesbian polycule. I'll, I'll fully admit that scene where I saw a man, I literally, I paused and I was like, a guy. <laughs> because when, when Raka is born, they say like, all high, like they, they gender the Haibane. And I was like, okay, well, I've seen only like people who are like femme. So like, okay, it's like a lot of AFAB people and like, trans women and like maybe a non-binary she her and like then we saw a man <laughs> it was just like oh <laughs> he had to leave because he had that t-boy swag so he had to go <laughs> to the abandoned that- factory commune i i'm glad they that like they let him keep the wings though 
Like that was very nice of them. Um, but like it is, it is just this wonderful kind of pastoral, like little little queer family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that scene where uh, Raka gets her dress because she goes out in that hideous brown bag that they put on her because, well, it's a dress we have and it fits you. And then she gets to to go out to buy to pick out something that makes her look and feel cute. I feel like that's a really nice little euphoric moment. Mm-hmm. And he even he even alters it for her at the shop. It's really sweet because I think he saw that ugly brown dress and was like, "Sweetie, no, no, like it's bad." But she gets to feel cute, and that's great. And it's with her family. And it's also, nice. also mm-hmm. just Raka in general being the new hive on and on on the block. Everyone is nice to her. So right? nice, and that kind of is what a trans woman might want after they finish transitioning or they start transitioning. Like just that acceptance of everyone saying, you know what? You're going through it. Let's just get you set up with what you need. You know, are you doing all right? Are you getting everything you need? Is, is everything okay? Like that kind of assurance from people, you know, even outside uh, the other high bonnet, that's really nice to feel and have. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's very sweet and it's very tender in the way they treat her. And like they never make Raka feel bad for being new. They understand that like she is going through something that all of them experienced in in different ways. And it's just a really nice little like queer trans polycule of people making a family. I do I do really like that this anime has a literal blank slate that exists to be uh exposited to but it doesn't it it does it in a way that feels natural like in a way that isn't grating and i think that's that's a pretty sizable accomplishment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i yeah it's nice i had another thought but it's gone now Okay. It's, I mean, you know, it's nice like Raka, who's very nice and boy howdy, gets some trauma. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about the day of flight. Oh. <laughs> I <sighs> I still don't know how I feel about that episode. Yeah. I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reiterate that like content warning, it is very much so adjacent to death by suicide. And like mm-hmm. it deals with a lot of ideation. <laughs> like I'm just gonna rethrow that out there for people because, mm-hmm. yeah, the day yeah. of flight. <laughs> yeah, not to uh, to keep things vague in case you have not watched Dear Brother or listened to our watch along about it. But that episode with Koo sort of reminded me of the uh, a character death in Dear Brother, where <gasps> their actual death is. Um, is a little bit vague, but there's heavy implications of suicide. You know, the, the overtness of which may or may not be tied to broadcast standards. And I was left wondering how, you know, how much, how much are we supposed to read this character giving things away and seeming at peace, like as nebulous suicide, uh, ideation, suicidality. Yeah, because I I found it very impossible not to read that into that entire mm-hmm. <clears throat> entire scene because like first of all, I did not expect it to be the character that it was. I don't know who I thought was going to end up kind of experiencing this just really like human moment, like this really tragically human instance of like Ku being at peace and just like giving away stuff and you know cleaning up that morning and then suddenly just gone but it's weird right because those suicidality uh signs are also coupled with this sense of like transcendence um like like almost Mm -hmm. enlightenment type things where Ku's Mm -hmm. accepted uh, um accepted her body and accepted uh like you know she um, and who she is and and her place in society and and things that that gave her anxiety don't anymore so it ends up being I don't know if it's even quite muddled but it's like it's doing a lot of things at the same time and I get that 
what the show wants to do is the characters are confused and also it doesn't matter if Ku has gone somewhere else and still exists or is just dead and gone because the functional impact is that she's gone and these characters can't see her again and they have to deal with that loss but I was left kind of troubled by the ambiguity of the suicide versus uh transcendence uh message mixing in a way that I I'm not sure if that was intentional or them kind of uh fumbling putting together some some signals yeah. It kind of feels like how we talked about suicide in the 2000s, actually, how we talked about it in the 2000s into like 2010 of kind of like the way that sometimes it is glorified in, mm-hmm. in really dangerous ways. Um, and I would say like you don't see as much as that online now, but like there are certainly still times of kind of the glorification of the release, which is a really dangerous message. Um, and I, I, the ambiguity bothered me a lot. Cause I was like, that's just not for anyone that deals with, or has dealt with ideation. There is not, there's no like tint around it of acceptance. There's a kind of an acceptance. And I mean, I'm now I'm speaking on like a very personal level. There's a kind of acceptance yeah. of like, this is all I feel I can do, but there's no like transcendence of kind of like of like of like a higher power feeling right and that Mm. it's interesting having that kind of in this narrative of like you know she she's going on to do what like some haibane do um you know what 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 it seems like most will eventually do Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it 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 is treated as just like death for these for these creatures death in the next stage it is something that everyone is going to do is eventually get this calling which depending on how you decide to read that is dark i mean it's real dark right like is i mean because you know i i think (laughs) there's no untangling it from the fact of like yeah one day you will wake up in this world and you will know it's your time and like you'll start that process and then you'll just be gone yeah it leaves me wondering like i hope depressed kids who are watching this came out of it feeling like seen and like they can keep going on and not like it was okay to let go you know yeah yeah this it is it is i will if if i had to pick up on anything that is very of the era it is the day of flight like that messaging i'm like wow we really do talk about suicidality and death by suicide very differently um, 20 years later which you know there, there there's something really good about that right like I'm glad mm-hmm. that the message has evolved but like I w- when it came to this I was like oh my god <laughs> like I can't imagine have wa- having watched this at that time um how I might have felt yeah yeah I mean Jackie you were younger when you saw this for the first time weren't you uh I watched it maybe well so as I said I watched the f- second to last episode okay. uh when i was when i was 14 and then i bought the blue uh the the dvds maybe when i was like 17 or so okay. um and watched the full series then cuz like i'm and, i'm curious to know what you felt back then i felt like this was kind of like a very emotional but also ku going away wasn't necessarily too surprising for me Right. Because everyone else seemed grounded and they were working through living in in Glee, whereas Ku felt like this sort of ephemeral, you know, I I even call her like a manic pixie girl in a sense, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. a a entity that's just kind of there as a as almost supernatural to, you know, drive sort of this drama in the series. Mm -hmm. Um, so when, when she goes away, you know, when she, her, her, her death essentially seems to be more of a catalyst to kind of, you know, resurface Raka's own traumas and, um, self-doubts as well as, uh, Reki's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really see her as her own character and you know that her day of flight had any real meaning to her personally 
yeah, I see what you mean that like Ku's role in the story is mainly to be sort of cute and and kind of uh kind of loopy in that Ed way and um you know just just a little ray of sunshine that everybody likes but without necessarily a lot of interiority um outside of the stuff with the crows which I think will be interesting to touch on. So mm. it, it's like less it's less brutal than it would have been if Rucky had died, because Rucky is clearly wrestling with so much, so much hug her. Mm. And I, and I suppose it's kind of like, I, I suppose it's kind of interesting because like Ku's name, like, isn't it, uh, isn't it written with the, I think it's using the kanji for sky. Uh, yes. So like, I mean, it kind of, in a weird twist, it kind of makes sense that the girl who has Sky in her name returns back to the sky, like via this kind of flight. It's just like this because it did it did pull one tear for me because I was like, "What?" <laughs> I, I mm-hmm. didn't I, I didn't really I don't know. There was just something so somber in the fact that it wasn't this. It it was just like another day, and I think that's kind of the the tragedy is like the day is going to continue on and like the only one who's really kind of deeply affected is Raka. And it starts off like this physical manifestation, a chain of events on her wings. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Maybe the fact that her death is, or that Ku's death is so perfunct, not perfunctory, but like mechanically um, calculated is why that episode left me a little bit cold like it's the episode that has to happen so that everything else that happens after can happen um mm-hmm. and the, the the first set of this episodes that i really feel like i felt uh was raka struggling with with self-harm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, I just wanted to pose this question then you know the crow it plays a huge role in raka's dream right and you know throughout the series you also see ku and raka kind of sympathizing with the crows while kana you know named after a river fish uh who hate who might happen to hate birds hates birds uh but you know her when raka's wings start to grow black like do you feel there is that kind of connection to the crows that you know maybe raka is a crow somebody who might one day to speak in it, you know, might fly away over the wall as well. I do, but for like different reasons, right? Like Mm -hmm. her flight, her flight is going to be a flight to something else. It feels like versus where Ku's flight feels very ritual. Like this Mm -hmm. is just, this is just staying the course of being a Haibane. Um, Raka feels much more like she's about to become something that's not a Haibane. Um, and I don't know how her world's going to deal with that, right? Because, I mean, the, the the town she lives in called Glee, literally kind of <laughs> like, you know, I mean, <laughs> the only one who's not truly, and she even says in the English dub, she's like, I thought this was a paradise, but like, now I'm not so sure. And that, mm-hmm. and that's kind of in the wake of, in the wake of the events with Ku. And so like, you know, paradise isn't paradise if you're not happy with it so like yeah i i think she's gonna become something else there's yeah there's definitely planting for raka as this sort of bridge figure uh Mm -hmm. you know she has this affinity with crows she she um talks to uh kana about feeling sort of sympathy with her tough love uh philosophy verse uh but also with the fact that you know these crows gotta eat Crow's got to yeah. eat. Um, and but and then you've got her black feathers, which she's internalized a lot of fears about. Um, but then because of that, she becomes this catalyst for Reki to be able to sort of talk about her internalized shame uh, at bleaching her feathers. I Boy, you could do a lot of reading into that. Uh- <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You sure could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Had that same thought. <laughs> <laughs> just just thinking about all the the stories of uh in japan specifically about kids who've had hair fall out because of school standards and stuff because uh, it was a non-normative color and bullying and harassment anyway um but yeah so she's she's clearly somebody who 
I don't think anybody's going to take down this system. It doesn't feel like that kind of anime that is interrogating it on that level. But I think that she personally will find a way to step outside of it to something different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, heck, we are at an hour almost. Yeah. We had a talk. This show is just so good to talk about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, th- this kind of goes into some of the quick closing questions that we we did want to talk about, which is, you know, what what do you think is going to happen next? And I guess, you know, wh- what you said, Bri, you don't feel that this is going to necessarily take down the system. It's not going to burn everything down. But like any any other thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think this will probably end with uh, I, I, I suspect this will end with Raka going on to parts unknown and then we'll we'll fade away and we won't know where she's gone either but the important thing is that she goes kind of thing um i assume we'll kill at least one more character on the way out <laughs> i i'm going to pause with a buck wild theory okay i think this is all an allegory about being born again I'm talking like, oh, what was that uh, manga? That what's that manga after school something? After like, school nightmare, my eternal yeah, nemesis. Yeah, yeah. I think that manga. Is, I think this is going that route. Like, I think if you don't fly away, like flying away maybe is your second chance at life. Um, some sort of thing like that, which also could be a very dangerous message in tandem with kind of like this show's conversation about suicidality. But like I think um i think raka is like either gonna find she's she's gonna get an answer to if she's human or not like we're gonna find that out because like maybe if you uh maybe if your day of flight comes but you reject it like you like i don't know lose your wings um mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. I, i'm I, but i'm positive this is this is about life that's what this is getting at i of course know what happens fully so i am going to refrain from uh opining on that um, you are, you are recused from commenting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Just to make sure we didn't miss anything. Um, oh yeah. Do you have any theories about who the Haibane are or what the city of Glee is? They're dead and it's purgatory. I was gonna say they are absolutely not alive. <laughs> they are okay. absolutely not alive. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's the collective consciousness of all these spirits dreaming a world where they could be happy. But yeah, it's purgatory still. Okay, so we on we are we in a good direction right now. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of it. Yeah, okay. I I love these kind of one core shows that just do something weird. Um, it's great. It's really interesting. Very annoyingly, as we record this, it is streamable, but only it's like the last thing that you still have to have a specifically Funimation sub for, which is annoying. But, you know, it's the show's 20th anniversary for uh, uh, 20th anniversary. Excuse me. I didn't have to buy this on Amazon. (laughs) Wait, no, I I tried to look it up on uh, Funimation. It refused to show for me. Okay. Vindication. (laughs) Because the only way I found it was buying it on Amazon. (laughs) For four ninety nine, I mean that's a steal. I think I paid like sixteen bucks. It's a steal, y'all. For a Blu-ray that doesn't even you know upscale. No, it's on there. It's just that it is video for subscribers only, so it is locked behind their paywall. Oh god, okay, okay. that's what it was. Oh, I could have watched it. (sighs) Sorry about that. Streaming monopolies are bad. They are. Mm Hmm. Oh, All righty. Yeah. Well, we'll close this out since we are at the hour. Um, so uh, we'll see how the second half of the show plays out. But before we close out this episode, for those watching along at home, um, you know, again, remember that this show does delve into loss and suicide and more so on the second half. So content warning, if uh, the, this first half was a little heavy, it will get a lot more heavier. Uh, and with that, thank you and thank you for joining us today on Chatty AF. If you like what you're, you're hearing, you can find more on animefeminist.com where you can listen to more Chatty AF or check out some of our writing. If you want to support our content, you could chip us a few blocks or two bu- a few bucks over uh, at Patreon or Ko-fi, which uh, pays for our staff and contributors.
Mm. We are trying to increase how much we pay folks. So your contributions will be sincerely appreciated. Uh, and that's uh, Anime Feminist on Patreon and Ko-fi. Uh, you can also check us out our check out our store at animefeminist.com slash store. Uh, we just added embroidered patches, bandanas, uh, and more to come. So please check that out just in time for the holidays. Um, you can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Tumblr, and Mastodon, all at, at animefeminist. Thank you again for joining us. Till next time.